After conversion rate, our favorite key performance indicator to improve is customer lifetime value. And a great way to do that is by adding a loyalty points program to your store. It makes sense. Why not reward customers for choosing your store over others? Loyalty Points from Bold is the first true loyalty points app where customers earn points when they shop and redeem when they buy. It even displays your product prices with points so customers are constantly reminded to think in terms of earning and redeeming points, creating intense loyalty in the process. Plus, it lets you offer bonus points on certain products to promote them. And it even creates loyalty member tiers that earn or redeem points at different rates, kind of like Costco. You can get an exclusive 60-day trial of loyalty points when you sign up at ethercycle.com bold. That's ethercycle.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. some good pre-show banter well i thought it was gonna be me singing creep but you were too slow sorry you want to re-perform creep for me no i don't because that's what we did before when i did girl you'll be a woman soon there's a pre-show banter about you feuding with the ceo of simplecast oh gee yeah Yeah. (laughs) leave the poor guy alone he's got enough problems he's he's overwhelmed dealing with a lot right now he could just say that like it's important to be a person yeah He's he's trapped in a business cyclone. Yeah, no, I imagine being on the inside of that is not pleasant. Yeah, but anyway, Simplecast is having problems, you guys. Yeah, they're well, so they're migrating people to a new version, and it sounds like my best guess is they rebuilt it from the ground up and are moving people from the current version to the new version, and in doing that, it just created a whole bunch of uh, bugs and issues, you know, and for us. The podcast is like a simple cast, which hosts the podcast, is a mission-critical part of our business and income. So anything that, that threatens that is immediately cause for concern. And they just, I think in a situation like that, like they're just, they're squashing bugs, which is fine, but they're not saying, hey, they're not taking extreme ownership of the situation. Because that's, I think, what people want to, you know, number one, when someone is an issue, I think they just want to be acknowledged. And then here, like, all right, this is what we're doing to fix it. It's like, what I'm looking for from the CEO of Simplecast is just him to say, we, yeah, like, we could have done that better. It's not going well. Um, but 
Like, realistically, here's the situation. Here's how we're going to fix it. And then I calm down. Well, yeah. I mean, here, let's, we, can now cur- we can now turn this from your own personal vendettas into helpful advice for our listeners. If you fuck something up, admit that you did it. Say you're sorry. Admit that you screwed it up. Take ownership of it. And then tell them how you're going to fix it. That's all you got to do. And 95% of people will be totally fine with that. They'll be understanding with it. Uh, like totally. When you try and sweep it under the rug or get defensive, that things go wrong with uh, with personal relationships and with customer support. And it's hard because, I mean, obviously you want to, like, find a way to, like, make it not your fault and, like, yep. find a way to blame them for it. And it's like, that just makes them matter, dude. Like, just admit that you were wrong. It's an incredibly powerful thing to be able to admit that you're wrong. Yeah, once you learn, like, that was like a, that's an adult skill where you learn... You just sometimes you just go, I was wrong. You're right. I screwed that up. Yeah. And it, like it, it's incredibly freeing to be able to admit and own stuff like that without feeling like it's some, you know, destructive personal failure to it, say you're sorry. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously it depends on how bad the thing was that you did. Right. <laughs> yes. These things are relative. Just is like, ah, well, the, the serial killings I did, looking back now, <laughs> I regret. The murders. But. I would hope you do. <laughs> but yeah, the apology, I think at that scale, doesn't mean terribly much. So today, on the unofficial Shopify podcast in Mailbag Episode 2. Last time Paul and I talked two weeks ago, we begged you to send us some questions. And you did. We got a ton of great conversation topics, questions, areas to explore. So on the show, we're going to discuss myth busting. We'll debunk some popular ignorance regarding e-commerce. We will talk, how do you find your voice in blogging? And three, we're going to go over some hacks, things you could do that you think only the big boys do, that just everyday Joes could do easily, inexpensively, quickly to improve their online store revenue. Because ultimately, that's what the show is about, helping you make more money. That's my why. I want to help my friends get paid. You have any housekeeping or news items, or you want to jump into myth busting? Uh, in reviewing last time we were together, I said, I was, we were talking about the Gumroad guy and I said something like, um, I was worried that when I was talking about Gumroad, it was sort of like, well, don't ask for too much or like, you know, just give up if you're, (laughs) if you like try to shoot the moon or like get too big or like, don't have any dreams. Like that's not, I worried that that's what I, it kind of came across as what I was saying, but I guess I'll, I'd. Trying to figure out a better way to say what I was trying to say, which is just like find a way to be happy with what you have, I guess. And if the costs of achieving, I guess just understand the potential costs of achieving exorbitant success. And like maybe you don't have to do that. I'm watching an interesting uh, series on Netflix that I think just premiered this week called Losers. It's about people that lost at something and obviously what obviously people would consider them to be losers now. And it's about how once they went through their loss, they are now way happier than ever, including one guy that was a championship boxer. He was IBF heavyweight champion, you know, and he lost his first title defense and he never fought again because he actually hated being a boxer. And the moment he lost the title and he didn't need to be a boxer anymore because he had the title, he lost it. And now he didn't, he's like, oh, well, uh, there you go. I get to be done now. Like, I don't have to do it anymore. And he's way happier. I in no way interpreted you saying I didn't interpret it that way at all. Yeah. I I got um, I understood that the the point was 
build a business for a life you want, define what that success looks like to you, and then seek that out as opposed to, you know, going with the the external, um, like some other person's idea of success for you, or just, well, we just have to make more money than we did the previous year. Yeah. And I think that's often what happens to business owners, especially as they get more successful. And really, like, there's the there's two mindsets to success. The first is just going, well, I could do this, you know, asking why not me? And then, you know, choosing your own path and getting there. And then the second half of success is scaling it to where you want it to be. And it doesn't have like, it really could just be arbitrary or based on some other thing. Like, you know, I don't want to manage a team of 300 people, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, you define it on your own terms. Yeah. And I mean, they, like you and me, like, we're obviously very happy with what we do right now. And if like someone swooped in and was just like, we want to buy you guys and we'll pay you, we'll pay you 50% more money than you make now. We probably would both kind of be like, mm, that's not worth it. Yeah. Like we're pretty happy. Things are going great for, to deal with having bosses and being within a more rigid corporate structure for like 50% more money is kind of almost not worth it to us. And I mean, that's pretty a pretty pri- privileged argument. I understand that like <laughs> the current amount of money we make is just fine. Whereas if we were making like, you know, 40 grand a year, we would probably be like, oh yeah, we do need that. We do need that money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So again, it's it, for us, part of defining our success is is that freedom and being able to do what we want. Yeah. Um, and I think that is totally common and normal with entrepreneurs and part of why they become entrepreneurs. So anyway, myth busting, I guess. Myth that busting. was a myth. The first first myth we busted is uh, you have to listen to other people's ideas of what success looks like. Yeah. Yeah, define it for yourself. Uh, okay. First myth. You might fail. That's not the myth. That's the fact. That's the fact. <laughs> um, no, I think the, the myth, the danger is because it took us years to get successful. And it mm-hmm. took us... Took me years of like failed business attempts prior to that. Um, the risk is, I think the myth is, if you just grind and hustle long enough at something, you will eventually succeed. And there's, it's a really tough one because there are situations where you could grind and hustle at it for years and you may get nowhere. Mm-hmm. But in my case, I did have to grind and hustle for years and then suddenly was, was very successful. Um, so the problem is I don't know what the right answer is, like how you know the difference. I guess if you see, I look at it as stacking the bricks. If you have, if you can achieve steady incremental success, then I think, you know, all right, if I keep at this yeah, with if every consistency, year, if every year gets better. Yeah. And I did have that. But I mean, you do, you also need to look at the rate though, because if it's like 5% better every year and you're starting from a low base. It's like, all right, well, in 50 years, it'll be good. <laughs> and certainly, I think the a similar myth um, that the, the busting is implied here is that this is easy, that starting your own business is easy. Like any guru four coach. Four-hour work week. Yeah. Um, and like really the issue with four-hour, the book is actually is good. The title, four-hour work week, I think is the, the problem. Um but getting there is tough. It, it discounts all the hour, all the hourly work weeks you put in before you achieve the four-hour work week. Yes, I think yeah. <laughs> um, so certainly, it, it's not easy. Overnight successes are one in a million, and you should not expect it. Um, and you will probably have to to grind and hustle at it. Um, but also be be mindful of when 
you know, it's time to pivot. Not necessarily just pack it in. Like in our instance, initially it was we built an e-commerce platform that didn't go anywhere, and but we had all these um, leads and requests for web design and development work. And finally, I went, wait, why am I struggling flailing at this e-commerce platform when we could start doing web design and dev? And then from there, switching to, all right, you know, we could do e-commerce exclusively and then pivot to, all right, let's do Shopify exclusively. Um, so it's so relative to, to what your situation is. It's just uh, Americans, like, don't want to believe in luck. They hate the idea of luck. It's and luck's like, a, a huge part of success. Luck's a gigantic part of success. But, like, people don't want to admit it because they're like, I worked hard for this. It's like, yeah, you did, but so did a bunch of other people that didn't make it. It's just they got they yeah. got bad, bad luck. And I think that's why it's important to acknowledge your unfair advantages. Like, did, were you born in the United States? All right, that's probably an advantage if you were born somewhere that didn't necessarily have electricity or the internet. Um, what you know, what kind of family life were you born into? Like that, those are are circumstantial, but that's a form of luck. I saw a stat that came out this week. I and I don't I don't know how they define the intelligence, whether it was by SAT scores or whatever. But the dumbest rich people graduate college at a higher rate than the smartest poor people. Oh, yeah, I saw that too. And, and yeah, that speaks exactly to um, that that kind of luck. It was the family they were born into. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying any of that is wrong or bad. I'm just saying it's important to acknowledge it. Like, own those. When you become, when you acknowledge it, then you can be grateful for it. And that that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. I think on the... On the topic of of luck and success, which I I really enjoy, there are a lot of good TED Talks on it, um, is survivorship bias. If you are successful once at a business, then you get, and you really don't know if it was you or luck, but you'll assume, okay, I was successful once, therefore I know what I'm doing and will be successful again. So they've got that, it's survivorship bias. Um. And it isn't the case. Like you certainly um, we've seen it with people where like their first product is successful and then their second product launch is a flop. I think that's where it comes across. I have a, a great analogy person for that is a uh, Democratic pollster and strategist named Pat Cadell who died last week. And he was kind of the guy that helped run Jimmy Carter's campaign for president in 1976. And, you know, Carter was Carter was a nobody. He came out of nowhere ends up becoming president, it, you know, it was this total Cinderella story. So, and Pacadell was in his 20s. So obviously Pacadell must've been a genius for making this happen. And literally for the entire rest of Pacadell's career, everything he did was like a failure. He was intimately involved in the new Coke rollout. That was a disaster for Coke in the eighties. Like every single campaign he worked on lost ever since then. But like he kind of ate out on the Carter thing for the rest of his life. But, like, Pacadell clearly wasn't that talented because everything else he did didn't work. <laughs> yeah, but he just he died. Poor guy. <laughs> so the uh, – I had a good follow-up to that. Sorry. And I forgot what it was. That's okay. Um, I think – so th- those are, like, more mindset myths. I think the other one is zero-sum game. Um, oh, yeah. Like, especially you see it with early entrepreneurs – they're always like, will you sign my NDA and my non-compete? And they're so terrified that someone's going to steal their idea. They don't realize the idea is the easy part. Yeah, the execution is like, the hard part. How many people, when they saw a microwave for the first time, must have thought, 
well, I had an idea for like a faster oven, right? <laughs> it's not the same at all. Yeah. It's executing it. That is the hard part. Yeah, it's like the iPhone. Like the iPhone, everyone was like, oh, duh, that is a good idea. It's just like, yeah, well, you don't have the design and the computing ability to create that. Um, so, yeah, I think those are all right. Those are our three mindset myths. Uh, the <laughs> specific e-commerce myths. Uh, number one, selling online is care. This is like similar to it's easy. Selling online carries little to no overhead. Well, Wrong. Rel- yeah. Wrong. Wrong. You got to, well, you got to create the product that you're selling. Like that requires capital outlays because if you sell a thousand of the thing, you got to make a thousand of them and you got to ship them and you have a, have to have a site and the people that bought it probably needed to have advertising to learn about it. Like and, there's money. <laughs> yeah. It's well, it's doing that brand activation, building that brand awareness, getting your first customers. That's the struggle. Um, and that's what really makes uh, e-commerce so difficult. Because even with like a brick and mortar store, you've got, like, let's say you're in a mall, you have that walk by traffic, right? In yeah, there's e-commerce, no there's no one walking by your website that they're just like, oh, I wonder what's going on in there. Like that doesn't happen. Well, and that's a, like it's another thing that um, the reason I think that's a myth is you have like early um, first time Shopify entrepreneurs, they always have that password up on the page it's mm-hmm. like coming soon but if you look at the store visitors and the traffic of course no one's going to the site but everyone always had when they first start has that storefront password up there the truth is until you have like worked really hard to get people to care no one is going to look because no one cares they don't even know to care yeah um so yeah selling selling online is not free by any means and I think it's it's build it's that brand activation and also, marketing phase that's gonna that's the expensive part. Don't forget to include your time as a cost. Absolutely, and that also that has opportunity cost. Yeah. Like, would you have been spending time watching your kids grow up? I mean, what are you missing out on? Um, so I think that that's your time is an important consideration, which leads us to the next myth: organic traffic. So traffic generate it's not traffic that's not pay per click. It's what's generated by uh, SEO efforts. And social, organic social media is an important and necessary strategy. Strategy, and the truth that like that's another one that we see with early entrepreneurs because it's it's attractive because you're not gonna you feel like well I'm not gonna waste money on a PPC ad budget, but it ignores the time that goes into it and that it really has like intentionally because Google and Facebook want you to buy ads. There's no reporting or very little reporting that goes along with it. That's a real struggle to rely on and could be like a six to 12 month strategy to really get something like that going. That is a real red flag for us when store owners are like, well, we need social media. Like social media will work for us because you're like, tr- yeah. So what's your strategy? Yeah. Well, and they, you and, know, social media. And it's them trying to avoid the overhead required in selling online. Yes. Is that they think to them, social media is free. And so, SEO is free. And SEO is free because you've, you know, gamed it. So therefore, you don't have to spend any money to get people to come to your store. Which, and you can make those strategies work. The problem is, it is in no way a guarantee. You can't rely on it. Um, And even, maybe you get lucky. And like I saw an old tweet from uh, our friend Moitza, who's been on the show a couple times, who said, um, she goes, you know, I was number one on Google for a particular search result. Now I'm not even indexed in Google the next day. (laughs) It's like the problem with the, you know, the the paid ads, you have control over it. 
You know, it's like, yeah, maybe you, you wasted the money in the budget and that ad didn't work, but you know what happened. You have the reporting, you have the control over it. You click, you know, play pause on the, the ad campaign with um, social media, organic social media posts and SEO. You have so little control over it, especially SEO. It's like, all right, you're going to publish your article. You're going to get some backlinks. And then you're just going to cross your fingers for several months, hoping that that ranks for some long tail keyword phrase. Yeah. So, like, it's important, but it's cert- it really is not what I would start with as a strategy to grow a store anyway. I think that that's the myth. Just don't don't you can't rely on those things, and they're not they're certainly not free. At least, especially from a time standpoint. Final myth: People don't read online. Well, what are they doing then? <laughs> the it can't all be YouTube videos, right? Well, so I, this I've heard this for years: is people don't read, and it isn't the case. Um, also, if <laughs> what do you think all that SEO is? Yeah. The SEO is text that people are reading, like yes. the, the Google robots reading it. Yes. So it's um, it's usually pushback on like uh, there's this product description is too long or this uh, this page is too long. That's usually uh, where I hear this. Where like people don't read, so just get rid of that stuff. It's not true. Um, in reality, what's going on is, is people will skim. So it's important to have. Um, uh, to bold phrases, emphasize phrases, uh, keywords in your your text, and use bullet points. And that's where, like, you see that a lot with um, successful Amazon seller listings. It opens with bullet points and bold phrases, and then a long description. And then after that, you've got the expanded description. But I would I would hazard a bet that the average Amazon listing is several times longer than the average Shopify store product description. I don't know if I agree with that. With the Amazon product description, is it really not that big? Well, well, because it's split. I'll tell you what they are: the Amazon product descriptions for the products Amazon sells. So the ones that they that the company that knows the most about e-commerce is putting their effort into mm-hmm. are long as hell. The longest pages you've ever seen. They have comparison charts built into them. They have everything. Go look at the Fire TV page or a Kindle Fire page or a Kindle page or a, uh, an Amazon Echo. An Amazon Echo page. They have a full breakdown of all everything that this thing can do for you, comparisons to the other models. I mean, they put in a ton of effort into the typed written content on those pages. And the other reason I'm I'm bullish on, hey, have more copy, have longer copy on the site, go with these long-form product descriptions, is because um, when we've rewritten copy on a site, like headlines and descriptions and expanded on it using... Um, data we got from customer development surveys, that has always had the biggest impact, just an outsized impact on conversions. If you want to see a great example of this in action, check out uh, our friends, uh, chicagobrickoven.com. So uh, that was a cool site. Uh, the guys at Fuel made, made that, and then um, we added a, uh, a custom homepage to it, custom product page. that look, They look really great, um, but the, the headlines, like if you, on the homepage when you land on it, it's this big pull quote. And that we pulled that from a just a customer survey we did. Um, and that just really had a, a huge positive increase on their conversion rate by um, using that, that longer copy. Um, but I think it's also relative to the product. Like with, for fashion, you know, if I'm spending $25 on a t-shirt, okay, you're right, you don't need a giant description. But you still want to break down uh, what's the material? Will, will, 
will it shrink? Just go through and answer objections, I think, is the bare minimum. All right, so moving on from our, our myth discussion, uh, Alana Davis emailed me. And this is a great question. She said, I want to start blogging, but I don't consider myself a writer. I'm curious what tips you have to help get the ball rolling. Not topics, but ways to get out of your own head. Ideally, I'd create a newsletter as well. So do I blog and write a newsletter or start writing content for a newsletter and get folks to sign up or both? So this is two questions. Number one, I read as, you know, I want to write, but I don't think of myself as a writer. How do I get out of my head? Is part one. What the, do you say to that? The answer to part one is 100% dictation, dictation software. And if you have a Mac, um, there's an extra uh, software download you can do that is called Enhanced Dictation. And you essentially can turn it on on any text editor or any software, and it's built into the OS. And then you just speak into a microphone attached to your machine, and it writes out exactly what you say. And that is the nuclear bomb of blogging and creating text content because the best kind of text content online is written in your own unique voice. It's not like this boring newspaper view from nowhere type thing. It's you as a person because that's who you're, you're selling is yourself. So you as a person, how you normally talk, talk into the dictation software that way. And then you'll get it all spit out in front of you. I mean, it'll just be a giant block of text. It'll be like on the road, just a giant thing. And you go through, clean it up, add some punctuation, fix the misspellings. There'll be misspellings. And you're going to have a very good blog post as your first one with very minimal effort thanks to that. Yeah, so um, she she had specified in here, like, not topics, but how to get out of your own head. I think that's an important distinction, um, and I, I totally got understood this one. So I, um, you know, you go through school, and they, through high school, and they're going to teach you, like, this is the way you write. This yeah. is the style you write for. Yeah, yeah. And they're Every- really less concerned with your co- the what you're producing and more concerned with, like, well, this is the style, the format. That's not, that's not where you're supposed to use the semicolon. Yeah. Um, like, let's go study the Chicago Manual of Style. And then, you you know, college, same thing happens. Like, it's got to be written in this way, unless you're, say, supposed in creative writing. Um, and then you get a job, and it's saved you. you got to write reports. So basically, if you have go- had any of these experiences, your natural voice has likely been just completely beaten out of you. Yeah. Better, and you and, have to relearn it. And well, and you think writing in your own natural voice is bad. Yes. Like you're doing a, you're honestly doing a bad thing and writing bad copy. Yeah. Well, this is casual. That's not, you can't write that. Yeah. I remember this stuck out to me. In third grade, in a creative story that we were supposed to write as an assignment, I said that the characters were having a ball. And they, it was like the only negative thing in there. They circled it and they like, and then the teacher brought it up to the whole class and said, you, you can't use slang in your writing. Which of course you get your slang in your writing. Also, apparently, like, 1920s slang. Also, like, 80-year-old slang. And yeah. everyone knows what it means. Yeah, like, at what point is that not slang? It's just a <laughs> colloquialism. Um, so, yeah, that, that stuck with me. I, re- just, I, brought, I know I brought that up to you a couple weeks ago, where I was like, I just remembered it and was like, what the hell? That's still that? traumatized. Yeah, when still he was traumatized. Eight. In third grade. Um, no, I, I went through exactly what Ilana uh, is, is probably experiencing here. And you're right. The solution was dictating to my Mac, and like it, you'll it will produce, especially initially when you're first doing this, like a lot of repetition. Um, so you just once you have it 
down though, like it, you'll sound much more natural. And then you copy edit it. And then if you want help with copy editing it, run it through Grammarly, which is a phenomenal tool. Uh, and I will link to that in the show notes along with um, the Mac Enhanced Dictation uh, tip that you described. But yeah, I mean, it works incredibly well, especially if you're on like a MacBook. The thing has like eight mics with noise cancellation built into it. Well, it, it works very well. It's bad if you're just like talking into your laptop. It would be way better if you had just like a headset mic or something like that. Like a oh, like a gaming mic. Well, yeah, because I mean, we're obviously not asking people to have like pro microphones, but like you know, you could buy a gaming headset mic for twenty bucks or fifteen bucks or whatever. And I I know someone will say, well, what about like Dragon Dictation? You know, I, I tried the the third party aftermarket dictation apps and never. It's just a big pain, and they didn't work uh, particularly well for me. I always went back to just uh, dictate to iOS or macOS. Yeah, that's the problem. Sorry, Windows users. We don't well, have any. Well, Windows, ha- I, ref- I haven't used a Windows computer in uh, you know a good 12 years, and every time I have to fix my kids, I want to tear my hair out. But I refuse to believe that like Windows 10 does not have this. Uh, I wouldn't know. They have, either would I. That's the issue. <laughs> okay, so number one, I think the answer is you have to find your own voice unashamedly use your natural voice. It will make writing significantly easier. It will sound better. Um, and the trick to do that is with dictation software. And if you're on iOS, Mac OS, it is free and built into it. Um, and as part of that, own it, like talk as yourself, include, let that be part of the personal brand. Um, I think that helps. And then the, like in thinking of talking about myths, a lot of those were going back to like, okay, this is things we see early e-commerce entrepreneurs do. And one of, one of those early things we see them do is that stilted prose in their copywriting as opposed to, you know, making bold claims, talking and talking naturally. Well, yeah, and it, it, you know, that that homepage of just like, welcome, we here at Amalgamated <laughs> yes, Widgets love always, making widgets for you. It's always, yeah, <laughs> like at Acme Corp, uh, welcome to it's Acme like, Corp. Oh, Acme Corp is my friend. We at Acme Corp. They will send me the best bat suit. <laughs> Instead of saying like, you know, hi, um, my name's Alana, and I started this website uh, six months ago to solve this problem that I had in my personal like and share that narrative story. Um, okay, the other part of that was she said, um, you know, do I write content for a newsletter? Do I blog? So the catch is, I would, well, if you already have content, um, create a content library, like figure out. This in a spreadsheet, you know, make a list, something, figure out this is all of the content I've created and then decide what's relevant to your audience and your brand and then use that everywhere. That can, you could break those up into social media posts. You could post that in your blog. You can include it as part, like parts of it in a welcome series on your newsletter. It is 100% fine and okay to recycle good content. Um, So don't be fearful of cross-posting it in too many places. Um, and absolutely from day one, start a newsletter. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, US-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler, by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now back to the show. Hit me. Uh, and then I think, yeah, um, 
the other, as long as we're on the topic of blogging, just try and be consistent with it. Um, like using uh, my wife's website, www as an example. She started that in October, has 200, I think 260 pages indexed in Google now from just being consistent. She was, uh, she produces two articles every week for the last several months and initially was creating like two a day and then went back and, and punched them up. But that, that is the mythical organic social media SEO traffic I mean, yeah, that everybody wants. The key to SEO is to produce good content that answers people's questions. That's all Google and wants. And solves people's problems. That's what Google wants, yeah. It's, yeah, they, every search query is a question, and they want the top result to be the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the way to look at it. Um, so in her case, it, you know, now she's getting um, several hundred organic hits a day to the website because of that strategy. But it was essentially, you know, like 20 hours a week for nearly six months to do that. That was the time investment. So I think number two is, is be consistent. And then finally, our favorite tip about blogging. Remove all the dates. Yeah. All the dates on your blog post that's like, oh, he wrote this in September 2017. Get rid of that. Because while the information you put down two years ago may still be totally relevant and all you need to know your user might not believe that. So they'll kind of be like, oh, well, this is two years old. I'm not even going to bother reading it. Where it, it it's still fine. So if it's still fine, take the dates off because it still works. So don't give an expiration date to your content. Yes, an expiration date is, is how people view them. Um, the other problem that having dates on the blogs creates is if you, for some reason, aren't consistent, you know, maybe... You, um, oh yeah. If you haven't posted a post in like six months and people are like, is this company still in business? Yeah. Like when I see that, I know from being on the other side of the table, it's just that you're busy running your business, but for customers, they'll read that as you have abandoned it. So that's, um, having dates on blog posts when you're not updating on a consistent schedule can actually have a, um, a negative impact on your conversion rate. Um, and truthful, like we are so bad about updating our own blog. Oh, we, well, I don't, we haven't updated the blog in over a year, right? Yeah, I don't think so. No, because the podcast is all of our content we produce now. We update the podcast and post the, the stuff on social media. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it works great. So, you know, if you're, you're going through those efforts and it's a, it is a ton of work, um, and you're not getting an ROI on it, quit doing it. Right. <laughs> um, okay. That goes for a lot of life. If you're not getting an ROI out of it. Quit doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes back to that first myth, which is, well, how long do you do it for before you decide it doesn't work? Because I think there's also people who are like, I wrote two blog articles. It didn't get anything, so I gave up. Eh, you got to give it more than that. Uh, okay. The final topic for today is one everybody loves, growth hacks. Um, and I wish I had noted down who asked this. It came from a, a listener in the, the Facebook group, and they said... Is there something that the big boys are doing that everyday Joes might assume need lots of money to do, but actually we could do quite simply? Tell us how. And I love how he phrases that. Um, so the any, do any immediately come to mind for you? Uh, well, customer surveys are big, which is just send out an email to people that have already bought your product and ask them why they bought it. And that becomes, they'll tell you why they bought it, and the number one answer of why they bought it becomes the basis for all of your advertising. Yes. You got lucky. Going back to that first thing, if you have a, you made a product, you've got it out there, it's successful, you got lucky. 
And if you think you know why people are buying it... You're probably wrong. You're probably wrong, number one. But unless you have asked them, you're guessing. It's a best guess. So you'll be super surprised at the results you get if you actually ask people. And here's how I would phrase it. Um, I learned this one from Hitton Shaw. He said, you ask people, what's the number one benefit someone would get out of buying this product? And they're going to describe to... It's important to make it third person. Um as a like psychological hack yeah, to get a more honest answer. You're not straight up asking them why what their thoughts bought. are. You're asking them how they would what they would tell other people about it. So I'd phrase it as like this is how I'd phrase it. First question, um, would you recommend this product to a friend? Yes or no, and why or why not? And uh, that's gonna if you have a majority of people saying yes, that's great because it indicates um, customer satisfaction without asking outright, hey, are are you happy with this? Um, then second question that I always want to know is, all right, if you recommended it to a friend, what kind of person would you recommend it to? And they're going to describe themselves, right? Without, but in a more honest, abstract way than if you ask them to describe themselves. If you said, Kurt, describe yourself, I'd be like, well, I'm 36, I'm married, I got three kids, a really fluffy cat, uh, and I'm into my Roomba. Versus if you said, like, oh, Kurt, what kind of person would you recommend this your, microphone for? Yeah, your Jaguar, too. Yeah. Which would be like, uh, ballers who are into awesome cars. <laughs> it's like, that's how he views himself. That's not true. <laughs> I do love that car, though. <laughs> I'm still in the stage where every time I got to bring it for in for annual service, and I'm, like, excited about it. Just bring it because it gets to hang out at the Jaguar dealership for a couple hours while they work on this car. And they're always, like, super cool to me about it. You're and the, then they'll hand it back to me washed. You're the only human I know that finds hanging out for a couple hours at a car dealership as a good time. Oh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, they've got this really this pleasant waiting room. So I'll go in there. I'll grab myself a Fresca and Funyuns. Because I think that's funny. They've got Funyuns and yeah, Fresca you know, in the same Yeah, when you think offer. of high-end luxury autos, Funyuns. Clearly someone likes Funyuns because they always have Funyuns. Um, and then I will go on the showroom floor and hassle some salespeople. Uh, I'll see what's in the service bay, and then it's time to go. And they hand me my car back washed. It's great. I'm kind of weird, I suppose. Yeah, we know. So we talked about, uh, like, number one, I think the the thing that will have the biggest impact is customer development, is is doing surveys. Um, and you could do that just by emailing past customers. Um, you could do it, like, you'll get a, you can't do this, you know, could, well, maybe you could do it continuously. Um, but that'll give you, like, more, macro data it'll give you an overview where you get you know a hundred or a thousand responses it will also be helpful if you just um get a few of your customers on the phone maybe they call in for some customer support reason um or they're a recurring customer that you develop a relationship but just talking to them on the phone and being like hey we just want to you know i help me understand what you get out of buying from us you know that sort of thing and just have a natural conversation um and and try and work through those same survey questions. Um, but third, I would do, I would look to create a feedback loop. So even once you've created that initial survey, um, I would then add that as part of like your your post purchase sequence, where you ask. Um, you may you could even ask like a single one of those questions in your order confirmation email, or go, hey, thanks, thank, um, or your thank you email. Hey, thanks for making your first purchase. I would love it if you could just hit reply and answer one question. Um, you know, tell me, would you recommend this product and why? And I think that, like, that you're going to improve your open rate because they reply to it, so you know you're going to stay out of spam. Um, so there's a, a side benefit there. But then you've got this feedback loop where you have, like, you can see trends. 
as you're going to be getting steady replies to it um, from your immediate customers. And and so then you leverage that information. Oh yeah, I forgot. Your, like, what do you do with you that? You got to do the information. You leverage that information on your store with like the topic of your emails, the topic of your advertising, the big headline on your store is like do X thing that thing that people told you they like to do while with our great product or whatever. Like the the thing that really opened the door for us to this was one of our early successes was Everest Bands, which is third party straps for Rolex. your Rolex watch. And we assumed it was because why did we what did we assume? Well, we assumed it was just like watch nerds like me who wanted to customize their watch. Yeah, they're like they already have a watch and they just want to like bling it out or make it look a little different and you know be cool with it. But when we surveyed the buyers, the reason the buyers bought it was because they wanted to protect the metal band that came with their Rolex, but they still wanted to wear their Rolex all the time. So they obviously needed backup auxiliary bands for when they're doing things or for day to day wear. Or if they're like, you know, diving or mountain climbing or whatever. So that completely changed the tenor of the content on the site and how we were pitching the product. Because now it became all about protecting your strap, but still looking good while keeping your original Rolex strap in pristine condition. Yeah, it was people, a lot of it was like people living in active lifestyle. um, And the steel bracelet was impractical and easily scratched. Versus a rubber aftermarket bracelet, yeah, like very nice and expensive, but you didn't have to worry about it. Like you could, you know, there was someone who said, "I'm a nurse and I use this band rubber this bracelet because I can run it through the autoclave at the hospital um, to sterilize it, and it it survives it. It's fine." So a lot of, um, I mean, things no one would have ever guessed come up. When you do customer development surveys. Also, my wife is a nurse, and I question why you would ever wear a Rolex while doing horrific nursing activities. It's a bad idea. We don't know what her specific... There's going to be a lot of fluids touching that thing. ...position was. Um, but no, I think my favorite example is is that Chicago Brick Oven, where you could read that the headline on their homepage, quote, The oven and the pizza I cooked became the sensation of my small town. Never in my wildest dreams could I write a headline <laughs> that good. As this one that we literally just copied and pasted from a um, a testimonial. Yeah, there's a someone they literally emailed a testimonial that was essentially like buying your product made me cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> so it's like, fu- do you want to be cool? Buy this oven. You're right. Like they're it's positioning <laughs> as um, as a status symbol, but really like that one. It was a lot of like, um, hey, this this product brings people together. Like we have people over, and we you know either like we have our uh, like multiple generations are our family over, and we bond over grilling pizza outside or cooking pizza outside. This is very cool to see. Um, okay, next one is user experience testing. You know that sounds like something that should be difficult and expensive, and you can hire um, expensive agencies to do this for you. Or here's the awesome tip I got from Josh Frank, who we heard on the show uh, talking about Google Analytics uh, last quarter. He said. Um, he goes to a, a coffee shop like Starbucks. He buys a few $10 gift cards. And then he strikes up a conversation with people and go, hey, he says, you know, hey, uh, I work in e-commerce. And this is going to sound weird, but I will give you a $10 gift card to this cafe if you could just let me watch you buy something from this store. And people did it. Like, they're like, oh, that's cool. And I get a free coffee. Okay. Um, and so you, you get to watch people. You need to 
when you as the owner are on a site, on your own site, you spend more time on that site than anybody else. So your opinion goes out the window. Like you're just totally blind to any problems. Versus what you want is uh, to recreate that experience of, I just landed on the site for the first time. Now what do I do? Yeah, because as the person that's running the website, you're looking at it all day. And like you set it up, you're intimately knowledgeable about every decision and choice that was made. And you just have blinders on because yeah. you're so into it. And you don't know how a regular person who has fresh eyes and wasn't there for all of your 27 conversations about what color the button needed to be, uh, wasn't there for those conversations. So they don't know any of that. So you get to see how the actual users will use your site. And you get insights of the mistakes you made and what is confusing. So I know, like, just talking, striking up a conversation with a stranger in a coffee shop to ask them to test your website. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. start with, like, your mom. Yeah. <laughs> like, you could certainly start with friends and family if you know they're you know, someone you have an, an existing relationship with, if you know they haven't um, been active on your site. Um, and what I would do is, like, have them go through it on your phone. But in, um, I know in iOS, I don't know about it. I'm sure Android could do this. I just don't know how. In iOS, um, if you open up the control panel, what do they call that thing? I'm waiting to see where you're going with it. You could turn on um, screen recording. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to do that. It's in, um, like, what if you swipe down one side, you get notifications. You swipe down the other side, what do you get? What's that thing called? Control center? I think it's control center. Yeah, sure, I don't know. Okay, so control center, there is a button that lets you record your screen in iOS. So you start the recording, then you're like, all right, here's my website. I want you to just find and buy a shirt. And then um, you can see where they run into issues. All right, so maybe you even don't want to do that or you want to do this at scale. Um, there are plenty of free services. Uh, my favorite is Hotjar. Um, their free plan we will let you... Hotjar. Yeah, Hotjar's great. Um, it'll let you generate heat maps. So if you're wondering, all right, what are people clicking on? You could figure it out. Uh, scroll maps. If you're like, man, do people even get down the page? You could find out. You don't have to wonder anymore. Um, and uh, it will do screen recordings as well. And I, let's, let's not elide over heat maps. Heat maps are incredibly, incredibly important because it allows you to see what people are clicking on and what people are not clicking on. Yes. And then you can remove the things that people are not clicking on, which makes their focus on the things they are clicking on even more intense. They're less likely to get lost. You're help moving them down the funnel, moving them down the chain even faster and more efficiently if you're removing all of this extra stuff that people weren't paying attention to anyway. It's not even on the page to take the focus of their eyes away from the things that they actually do care about. Yeah. So, Joe, you know, like the approach I take is, all right, what elements, what clickable elements did they not click on? So can I just get rid of those? Yeah. Um, to streamline it. And that has a huge benefit. And then what non-clickable elements are they clicking on? Because, all right, maybe I that's confusing. Do I need to get rid of that item? Do I need to make it do something? Do I need to redesign it? Yeah, yeah. The, um, I think that one uh, things that yeah less important. You're amazing. It, it, it's an interesting thing to learn. To, just to go back to well, to you, it's obvious that this thing isn't isn't active in any way and isn't something that they should be clicking on and isn't uh, something that helps them on the store. But it's it was really shocking to me the number of things that people thought were active elements on the store that would do something for them. And then they poke at it. And it's like, wait, why did they think that they can poke at that? And like, you got to, you know, really interrogate why that's happening and what you could do about it. And, you know, you don't want people to be surprised by something. You don't want people to think 
something is going to happen and then it, nothing happens. Yes. Yeah. Or you could leverage that and go, all right, maybe this should be a call to action. Yeah. Like I, um, because clearly they're trying to interact with it. I want to get them to the next step in the process. This is the opportunity to do it. Um, and I'll give you a good example. A lot of sites uh, on their homepage will have that um, logo roll call, like their press logos. Mm-hmm. Like, we've been mentioned in, as seen in, featured on, whatever. And they'll have a bunch of logos. Um, those almost never go anywhere. And if when you heat map it, you'll quickly find out the one that has the most impact for people. Because you'll be able, like, guaranteed people will click on it, uh, on those press logos, and you'll be able to see, oh, these are the ones that actually mean something to people based on which ones they're trying to click on. So if you have one that nobody clicks on, maybe get rid of it so that the one that stand, um, that they do click on that is clearly important to them stands out that much more. Yeah, heat maps are uh, a ton of fun, and Hotjar makes it so accessible and easy. Um, the other one is uh, that you could do with Hotjar, as long as we're on the topic, is do exit intent surveys. So I could Facebook groups, uh, Shopify Facebook groups all the time. It's like, all right, my add to cart rate is 10%, but my conversion rate's like 0.111%. I don't know why, and I'm testing everything, and what do I do? Did you think about asking them? Say what? Um, what Hotjar will let you set up uh, polls on your site, and the you can set up an exit intent poll, and you can limit it by URL. So you can say, all right, I only want to fire this poll on when people try to leave on a page that contains products in the title so that we know they're on a product page. And you just ask one question, if you didn't make a purchase today, what stopped you? And then you will find out from people the exact objections they have to purchasing from like real potential customers who abandoned. And then you could also say like second question, hey, if you want a, um, a response to your question, just enter your email. And then that might be a way to, you know, to rescue some of those relationships. Uh, moving down our list, one of the things we have here, uh, offer multiple payment methods. So people could just pay with their credit card, but there are a bunch of other ways that people could pay that's a lot easier for them. PayPal, because they don't have to type anything in. They could just log into PayPal. Uh, if they're on their phone, most traffic on stores now are people are on their phones. So they can use Apple Pay or Google Pay to pay you. And Shopify makes it really easy to set that up. You just click in your store backend that you want to accept those types of payment. And then hopefully your theme supports dynamic checkout buttons yes which is the best thing ever it makes your add to cart rate sky it makes your checkout rate skyrocket um it's just there's two buttons on the product page there's add to cart and then there's another button that is that sniffs out what payment provider the user is logged into if they're logged into paypal it'll show a paypal button if they're on their iphone it'll show an apple pay button and they could pay with apple pay right there on the product page right away and just remove a ton of steps in the process. It's so cool. It's, it's I love when great. sites use it because it turns it into now, like part of the decision-making process, whether people think about it actively or not is on my phone, I'm going to have to type in my credit card number and my address and like billing and shipping address and all that. And they don't want to do it. They know it. Re- it's a chore. It's a job to be done. They're not interested. These accelerated payment methods, Apple pay, Google pay, um, and mobile payment methods, um, like uh, PayPal and Amazon Pay, the advantage to all four of them is the address is already stored and the um, the payment method is already stored. So there's no question about security because you're not your stores. They know your store's not processing the payment, um, so it gets you around that. You get to leverage their trust in whatever that preferred payment provider is. They um, it accelerates the whole thing because I don't got to type in any of that nonsense. Yep. 
What's the time on Apple Pay? It's literally like seven seconds from when you hit it to like when it's finalized. Yeah. If you're like clicking through it. If you're on a product page and you make a purchase with Apple Pay, there is no way it takes more than 10 seconds. And it's like, not talk about objection busting. They don't even have time to form objections. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I see that uh, a, support, a store supports Apple Pay on the product page, I'm like, I need to get away from this thing before <laughs> I impulse purchase a stupid t-shirt. <laughs> um, but it, it's still one of those, it, any updated theme is going to support that out of the box. Um, it's just, it is built into it. And I see it so rarely. And it's such a quick, easy win. And like, the big boys, which is what the, the question originally referenced, what are the big boys doing? They can't move as quickly, so it's very likely they don't even have those things yet. Yeah, it was a real, it was a real great thing. That I mean, the reason that this didn't work is because Amazon got a patent 20 years ago about one-click buying, which was a patent they never should have been granted. Granted, It was a huge disaster in the early internet. I'm a very old man. I still remember it. We don't even want to talk about it anymore. But anyway, that patent expired thankfully. And now you can buy things on a website using only one click. And the moment that patent expired, Shopify implemented it in their back end across their stores. And it is just great. The, um, so the two other hacks is that you brought up Amazon. If the big stores, Amazon, Target, Walmart, we've mentioned this before, they train your customers how to shop. So if you leverage the same patterns, that those stores use. Maybe it's um, you organize your store in a similar way to the categories and labels Amazon uses. Like I will often use labels from Amazon. Now you are insured. Um, you can be assured that when someone lands on your site, they're going to inherently understand it because they've seen it before on Amazon, right? Or some, like, depending on who your audience, you want to look for uh, a, a large store that your audience uses. And, and I mean, Amazon is just like an easy kind of universal example. Well, I mean, we do that all the time. Like if we're going back and forth on like, well, we should do it this way. No, we should do it this way. The tiebreaker is always, well, how does Amazon do it? Yes. And then however Amazon does it, that that that's the winner. Yeah. And then of course, like obviously once you've implemented it, you want to test it with something like Hotjar to be, um, so you know for certain that that works for you, but it's always a great starting point. And I think more importantly, don't reinvent the wheel when you've got these big stores that are already establishing the patterns for you. Um, then we talked about like with the applying the customer development um, and those customer surveys, um, I think the, the single best conversion rate optimization tool you have is copywriting. And I struggled for years to really like nail copywriting to get good and proficient at it and like just have it click. The book that I read that finally I went, I got it, I get it. Um, is The Brain Audit by Sean DeSouza. I'll link to it in the show notes. But if you can figure out copywriting, you will profit, and I will say, start with your positioning. That's the cornerstone of everything. If you could figure out a concise way to describe what your, the benefit your store offers to your customers, you will thrive in your marketing from there. It's like, it sounds silly, but that one sentence is so difficult to write. Yeah, and I think finally, like, as a, a small business... Um, you can offer customers one-on-one -on -one support. So if like, if you're doing the, if you are the owner, you are the founder, you're the, you know, the, the chief everything officer, um, go ahead and, and tell people that it will make them feel special. They know they're at the top and they're dealing with, uh, a, a real decision maker. So own that as one of your unfair advantages that big businesses can't do. 
Um, and I think that that'll let you wow them with with support. The and then I think lastly, uh, the own the own if you're owning that you are a a small business or a sole proprietorship, accept that you can make decisions way faster than any big business can, and that is a um, use that, that to your that's advantage. a big advantage. Try try out crazy ideas. Yes, yeah. Like don't don't be don't look for permission anymore. Just go. All right, we want to see. Yeah, maybe having you know a, a video, you know, just a, an iPhone video of me explaining the product on the product page will help. All right, you could do that today, right? Um, and then I think also like of course, video um, is a an easy win where the for a small business the expectation of like extraordinary polished video goes out the window. You don't need to hire a spokesperson anymore. You as the owner can sit down with your iPhone and record a video. Like, hey, let me walk you through this product. Boom. Boom. Those are those are hacks. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Um, and if you have questions, go ahead, reply to the the newsletter um, or the Facebook post in the group about this. Um, happy to to expand on a little bit. And for our next show, we've got some good topics in the bag, but certainly we will need more. So if a um, a topic popped into your head, don't let it die there. Reply to my email or comment in the group and let me know uh, what uh, what Paul and I should talk about next. We're happy to have your suggestions. Good? Bye. Kurt, out. One final note before we go. I wanted to remind you about the one Shopify theme my agency has used more than any other. It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed. But that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable, feature-packed theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates. Calling it a theme doesn't do it justice. I think of it as a rapid prototyping tool for Shopify stores. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount when you use the code PODCAST20. You can even try it for up to two weeks, and if you don't love it, Out of the Sandbox will give you a full refund. To check it out now, go to ethercycle.com slash turbo and use code podcast20 at checkout. That's ethercycle.com slash turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, the unofficial shopifypodcast.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including some details you might have missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. Please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, and produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.